Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Everybody, so this is like jumping right in. This is probably, I don't know if I'd say like my favorite chapter in all of Hebrews, but it certainly is the one I've absolutely studied the most. And the reason I did is because when I was in seminary, um, we had like a list of three uh, scriptures that or something like that, that we could pick to do this massive long project on. So it was kind of like, a ma- it, it was in preparation for the master's thesis that we had to do. So anyway, um, <clears throat> in doing this one, um, or in doing this, we, we basically, it's like they give you three or four verses, uh, and they say, you have to write a 40 page paper on these like four verses. So <laughs> I know it's, uh, it, it is what it sounds like a, a major, uh, uh, task. So anyway, I don't, I, I don't know many people. I'm sure there's people out there. I don't know many people who probably know this chapter, um, better than me only because I was forced to do it for hours and hours and hours and hours lots and lots of research and you'll know why because there's there's two verses in hebrews that become these hotly debated like can you lose your salvation scriptures and i think i've talked about this before but i just want you guys to know it's such a western weird question to even ask like the you'll find there's a debate about it and the reason there's this debate amongst christians of as to whether you can lose your salvation or not is because the Bible doesn't say, and the reason the Bible, at least it doesn't say super clearly, so that's why you have this argument. And the reason it doesn't say is because it, the question itself kind of misses the gospel. It's like only in a culture where we've boiled down coming to Christ to like saying a prayer and uh, you know going to church or whatever so we can get fire insurance, only in a culture that's done that, that's taken the gospel and dumbed it down to that, um, could, would anybody even ask such a question? So that's why the Bible doesn't really go into it that much because it's not, <clears throat> they're like, if you really get the gospel, this is simply isn't a question that would come up. Like, so, cause the gospel is utterly devastating to the human spirit in every good way and kills you and resurrects you to new life. And so to be like, well, can I lose the salvation? It's just a weird question to ask because the Bible you know, is is so beyond such a question that is beneath it. And I don't mean to say like, if you had the question, I'm not saying like you're beneath, you know, anything. All I'm saying is that it's a weird question for the Bible because the way the gospel is, is so much different than we've ever heard it, seen, taught, walked out or anything else. And I definitely believe this generation is reclaiming a lot of that uh, is actually reclaiming the truth of the gospel. And we're going to walk in such crazy awesomeness. Like, I think I've talked about this before, but we're going to have where young people mostly, and again, not only, but there'll be a large percentage of young people and they're, they're going to do worship for 72 hours straight. I mean, I've seen this. The Lord has shown me this multiple times. There's going to be, they're going to have worship services that where they're literally not going to change clothes. They're not going to eat poop or pee. I know it sounds weird, but they won't for 72 hours because they're, they're going to be that enraptured in God. These worship services are going to be unlike anything we have ever seen before. And there will be miracles and signs and wonders and the power of God poured out. 
um, because in at least in part, I mean, obviously because we're coming into the end times, but at least in part because we are going um, to see the restoration of the actual gospel and not the kind of watered down, westernized weirdness that we've sort of seen up to this point. So I'm just excited about what is about ready to happen. I'm excited about what God is doing now and about what he's going to do and about everyone who's listening to this actually knowing the word of God. So if you know, if you've listened to this whole podcast up to this point, then you already know this. But if you haven't, I'll remind you. Remember, these are Hebrew people. These are Jews that are being written to. And they are scared to death of two people. They're scared to death of the Romans, and they're scared to death of other Jews. And they're scared to death of the Romans because if they outright begin to enter into Christianity, they face persecution. So they could have their stuff taken away. They could, you know, go all kinds of trials. And then they're afraid of the Jews um, because they are persecuting them as well to basically come back to Judaism. So what the temptation is, is either to get rid of the gospel completely or to sort of hybridize um, the old and new covenants to like, well, let's, let's kind of still be Jews and we'll just throw Christianity on top of it like some kind of secret sauce, you know, or something like that. But we'll still look like Jews to avoid persecution from both groups. So, of course, Hebrews is written to say Jesus is so stinking amazing that you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And this chapter continues that thought. And again, it's one of my favorites. So let's just dive into it. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, and again, contextually speaking here, he's not talking about the law like this is like the Ten Commandments, like, you know, the right and wrong, like don't covet, stuff like that. When he says the law, what he's talking about is the law specific to the sacrifices in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that are the law in terms of this is how you get holy. Like this is this is how you get remission of sins, that, that kind of a thing. That's the law he's talking about. Since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, which again, in the prior chapter, he basically already said, you know, he's just saying that like this whole sacrificial system is but a shadow and it's not the actual thing. And he says it can never, meaning the sacrificial system of the old covenant can never by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, that's an interesting thing to say because it sort of intimates that this thing, these th- this old sacrificial system by which they had to offer sacrifices year after year could not make perfect those who draw near. Could it make perfect those who are doing it, basically? In other words, and it kind of intimates that maybe something else can make you perfect. But for, for now, he's just made the point that this sacrificial system cannot Verse two, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. In other words, if it could make them perfect, then why do we keep offering them? So he's just making the point that the fact that we keep offering year after year sacrifices shows that those sacrifices cannot cleanse your sins and cannot, you know, remove the consciousness even of sins. So he says in verse three, but in those sacrifices, there is a simple reminder of sins year by year. So in other words, it's like the sacrifices didn't even take away your sin. They simply reminded you that you were a sinner, that you needed a sacrifice for them. 
And that's why verse 4 he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, again, remember, he's saying this to people because these are people who have believed their entire lives for generation after generation after generation that the blood of goats could, in fact, take away sins. So he's saying it cannot. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to offer it year after year. Then he goes, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. All he's saying, he's referencing this Old Testament passage to Jesus, saying like that Jesus is basically saying the sacrifices you haven't desired. It's really a whole burnt offering. Um, and I, that I have come to do your will, basically the offering of Jesus. So verse eight, after saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He actually quotes an old Testament passage, then exegetes that very passage. He says, he takes away the second in order to establish I'm sorry, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, he takes, because he, remember, he's trying to get them to stop doing the old uh, covenant sacrifices. He's trying to get them to be like, these are not making you holy. These are not affecting you in any way. You have to have Jesus and once and for all. And that's why he goes, he takes away the first, meaning he took away that sacrificial system so the second could be established. By this, we will have been, we, again, not are you going to be sanctified. By this, we will have been sanctified. You're already sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So then he says, verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Listen to what he's saying. He's like, Basically, you know, they, he said priests had to stand every day ministering, making an offering over and over and over and over, which can't even take away sins. But Jesus offered one sacrifice himself for all sins for all time and then sat down at the hand of God. Basically, what he's saying here, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet, meaning until that sacrifice went out all through the world, conquered Satan, and then ultimately be fully conquered upon Jesus' return. Verse 14, and here's the one I quoted in my uh, little reel or whatever the heck you call those things, like uh, <laughs> earlier today. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Again, people have this weird idea that somehow like you come to Christ and you say a prayer and now you, you, you're like, okay, but you're still radically broken with the sin nature. You're going to be screwed up forever. Um, so, but you're still supposed to try, even though you're going to fail over and over and over and over, you're still supposed to keep trying, even though you're going to keep failing and you're super screwed up. And, and then they say, well, the process by which you stop sucking so bad is called sanctification, but somehow you have to do that to yourself. So somehow you're going to sanctify you by doing, uh, whatever they tell you to do, you know, prayer, fasting, reading your word, like 
not doing naughty things. Uh, if you're in the South, don't watch Harry Potter. That's a big deal around here. Anyways, um, so whatever it is that you're supposed to do or not do is somehow sanctifying you. But he says, the Bible says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time. Those who are not will be sanctified, those who are sanctified. Because the moment you come to faith in Christ, you die. It is he who lives, and you are absolutely perfect ontologically. Remember, your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and actions might not be perfect and typically aren't. And if you want to refer to that as sanctification, I'm on board with you. If you want to call sanctification like the outward act of an inward reality, and over time you tend to align more with your inward reality in terms of your thoughts, uh, feelings, and actions, I'm on board. If you're saying somehow you're making yourself more holy and you want to call that sanctification, I'm not on board. <laughs> like that is so not true. And we'll send you down a very awful, awful place where you just try, 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 and you fail, 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 fail. But remember, it's not like, it's not like you're just, well, I can never be perfect. So I guess I'll just give up and trust God. No, it's, you are already perfect in him. So you, you come from your perfection. I want you to understand this. Every single one of us is working and ministering alongside Jesus from our perfection, not for it. So I hope you guys can understand the difference one from the other because it's massively important going forward in this hour. So then he says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. And remember, he's quoting Jeremiah, and I'm going to do a whole thing on this. I've got to do another teaching on this because people just don't get this concept. But he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write them. In other words, he's saying he made you perfect by relying completely on him for your holiness. And because of that, Holy Spirit is came into you and actually wrote on your heart and on your mind the laws of God. Like that's how much you're changed is what he's saying. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. This is how you're perfect. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Like this, and I'm not saying this, like the Bible's saying this. He's saying, this is how you're perfect because God doesn't remember anything you've ever done that isn't perfect. And if he doesn't remember it, it's it's done. It doesn't it doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't mean you never did them, but to him, you never did them because it's called imputed righteousness. This is a theological term by which God makes you righteous. So it isn't, it basically is all of Christ's righteousness is given to you as a free gift and you actually walk perfect. Like this is the gospel. This is what it is. It's not, you have a sin nature that you have to fight your whole life. That That is crap. I mean, it's just garbage. And it's what has enslaved people for like this last 50, 60 years in the body of Christ. And we have got to start preaching and living the real gospel of perfection in Christ. Because remember, when you believe something, you tend to behave in accordance with that belief. So if you believe you are broken and have this sin nature, you will sin by faith. Just remember that. So I'll remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin, meaning that God has forgiven you through the blood of Jesus. That's why we don't need to continue offering things because he is justified to forgive you. He can send love and forgiveness your way because the justice that demands you suffer and pay for your sin was poured out on Christ. Like this is an amazing thing. So verse 19, so then he goes, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, oh, here we go, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
My goodness, I have got to tell every one of you, I see this all the time. There are so many people who, who can't enter the holy place. They can't go even have a secret place with the Lord, but they can't go into the presence of God. They, they can't enter the throne room in the way we're supposed to, this side of heaven, because they don't actually have that confidence because in them somewhere is I'm still broken. I'm still gross. I'm still yucky. I'm still a loser. I still have a sin nature. I still just yelled at my wife this morning, so I'm not worthy. And he says, brethren, we have a confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. I mean, this is like, oh my gosh, like you have to believe this perfection that happens to you in Christ because your intimacy with God, this side of heaven, radically depends on it. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Remember, he's just summing up everything he said the last like four chapters. He's like, since he, he inaugurated this for us through his flesh, since we have this amazing high priest over the house of God, verse 22, then let us draw near. See, that's the thing is we, we have such a hard time drawing near because we don't know that the price has been paid. We don't know that we are actually perfect. We don't know we are actually holy by which that's called faith, by which we can enter into that. And that's why the enemy continually wants to remind you of what a piece of garbage you are. He continually wants to remind you of how much you failed and how much your feelings are gross and how arrogant you are and how judgmental you are. And again, I understand the conviction of Holy Spirit illuminating those things so that we can repent and grow. But the enemy likes to take this and beat you over the head with it. And so your focus does not become glory to glory, but it becomes issue to issue where it's like, I got to get beaten up all the time and you're constantly focused on the next thing God is dealing with you in your heart with instead of deeper into the veil, instead of drawing near, he says, with a sincere heart because you don't actually know you're perfect. You don't actually have this. You're not working in conviction. You're working in shame, some of you. And so I really want you to hear this. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. And here's the big deal. In full assurance of faith. And see, that's the thing. When you put your faith in your own brokenness over your faith in your own holiness, you will have a problem. You cannot put more faith in how broken and screwed up you are than you have faith in Jesus' ability to make you holy and perfect. Because if you do, your faith will be in darkness and not in light. I really want you to hear this. Like, this is so important going forward. I know that some of you are like, oh, I'm so afraid of being arrogant. I'm so afraid of like thinking I'm all that. And I'm like, look, God has a great way of humbling you. Like, don't worry about that. Remember, arrogance in its core form is to disagree with God. So if God calls you holy and he calls you perfect by his blood, who are you to say that you aren't? If you say you're not and that I'm so unholy, I'm so broken, that is not humility. That's actually arrogance because you're disagreeing with the living God and what he speaks over you in holiness. So now, I'm again, hear what I'm saying. I mean, God will convict you on your, convicts me all the time on my pride, on my arrogance, on my selfishness, on all my junk. He's really, really good at that. But he, do, but he does that. I'm not doing that. He does that. I seek him. I go. I draw near with a sincere. I'm not saying I always do this perfectly, but this is what we're supposed to do. I draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And when I do that, it will it will show me who he is. Which will break sin off of my life. The action and my perfection that's already there will begin to come outward. But if you don't believe that, you will stay stuck. And he says, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. I mean, it's like your conscience is also clean because he has washed you and your bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He's like, stop going back to the old sacrifices. That's his point, right? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, here's the deal. When you actually go into the veil, when you believe in your holiness, when you approach the throne room of God, based on your faith that you are holy and righteous in Jesus' name, what happens? You begin to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and you begin to encourage each other. There's like a spirit of encouragement that happens. There's a spirit of your love and good deeds begin to roll. Why? Because you're stepping into the throne room of God based on your faith and the perfection that he gave you. When you do that, you begin to walk and move in ways that are like in alignment with that, specifically loving, good deeds, getting together with other believers and encouraging each other. I mean, that's, ah, that's huge. I just hope everybody's hearing this. Now we're going to get to the second half of this. In fact, I, my goodness me. Oh boy. Okay. Um, this is already reaching kind of the limit of the length that I wanted it to go. So we're going to make this two parts. This is going to be Hebrews 10, um, part one. And then we're going to, we're going to do the next, um, uh, verse 26, which is the whole, can I lose my salvation, uh, issue that I, that I said is not re- really a biblical issue, <laughs> but I am going to break this into two parts. Cause I want people to take it in chunks of 20 minutes. So try not to go too far beyond 20 minutes. And if I launch into this, it's going to be way longer than that. So I'll make another one. I'll make two, uh, this into two parts. And then those of you who want to listen to that first part, you definitely want to listen to this part before you go to the next part. Cause that's the only way the whole thing is going to make sense. But I just pray over you, your own holiness in Christ Jesus. I say your own in the sense that it is his, but he has imputed it to you. So he has given this to you as a free gift and for you to embrace it and walk fully in it. So I will, I will talk to you guys in the next podcast we're entering into. Can you lose your salvation? Hebrews ten twenty six. It's all right. I'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.